Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Let's explore your mind for a moment. Um, (laughs) Right before we started recording this episode, Kat said, why is it that every Christmas season I want to watch CSI? And it's it's true. I'm not really sure why, but every holiday season, Kat's like, let's binge CSI. Why do you think that is? I have no idea. I mean, it is a festive Yuletide crime show. (laughs) But we have noticed this over the last, I would say, especially three years or so, that uh, it's right around this time of year. I want to just curl up on the couch with a blanket and some cocoa and watch some crime drama. (laughs) I don't know. I, I think I have a theory. You do? I think that maybe at some point in your life, you spent Christmas Day or maybe Christmas Eve mm-hmm. binging CSI and really enjoyed it. And so now in the back of your mind, those two things are connected. Maybe. That's that's very possible. I had a similar experience. I bought um, the Tom Petty uh, Greatest Hits on vinyl. And uh, the same day, I bought a big bag of M&Ms with peanuts. Okay. And so I listened to both of the albums, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and Tom Petty and you know, his greatest hits, while eating this bag of M&M's. Mm-hmm. So now whenever I hear Don't Do Me Like That, I, I crave chocolate. <laughs> it's true. I, it's almost like like a Pavlovian thing. Yeah, I like that. It's like whenever we talk about the Terminator, I start to feel a little romantic. That's true. Because yeah. <laughs> it's our anniversary movie. Yes, on our, on our honeymoon, we spent a romantic evening in our hotel room watching Terminator. <laughs> so now... And uh, eating bad lasagna. It was. It was terrible lasagna. It was so terrible. I think it has something to do with that. All right. Well, it's all right. Makes uh, sense to me anyway. Sure, absolutely. So you go first. I do. Right? Yes. Okay. Can we not do that? Can I go first? Why? Because mine's terrible, oh. and I'd like to get it out of the way. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, um, go ahead. Okay. In um, that way, if you want to, uh, because there 
I want to issue a trigger warning right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And if you want to zip through mine and not listen to it, you can get right to what I can only assume will be a uh, delightful, bubbly, fun story from well, you. It's not bubbly and fun, but it's it's not like the Jim Jones episode. Okay. Or okay. the girl in the box episode. So I absolutely think that I should go first. All right, go because ahead. Because it is a bummer. It's rough. It's really tough. And um, so let's let's just do that. Okay. So yeah, trigger warning for uh, rape and murder. This information came from a Seattle PI, PSU.eu, Ranker.com, The Los Angeles Times, and VCStar.com. In September 1978, 15-year-old Mary Vincent ran away from her home. I hate this already. Are you familiar with the Mary Vincent story? I'm not sure yet. Okay. So Mary Vincent uh, grew up in Las Vegas. Her parents worked for casinos. She was one of seven children. She left home in a hurry one day when her sister said that her dad was coming home with one of his migraines and that he was mad at her. Her sister said, you'd better run. Basically. So Mary headed out to visit her grandfather in Corona, California. Mary had hitchhiked before, so this wasn't like a huge deal for her. And she was pretty confident. Uh, she wanted to maybe start a new life in California. And she was only 15. 15 years old. And you said, what year was this? 1978. Everybody hitchhiked in 1978. Right. Yeah. It's sometimes hard to think about how normalized it yeah, was. Because it was. for me, it you know, growing up, I mean, yes, I have hitchhiked and yes, I have picked up hitchhikers. Mm -hmm. But it was always told to us when we were kids, like, never do this. This is dangerous. You will die. We hitchhiked all the time. It's crazy. When I was like 12, 13 years old to the lake right outside of the little town that I grew up in. Um, but again, that was the 70s, yeah. and it was a small town, and everybody knew everyone, but it was not even thought of twice. Right. When it, my experience with hitchhiking is mostly on the side of picking up hitchhikers, I only got a ride from someone once, and it was right within my hometown, so mm. I wasn't real worried about it. Um, and I, also, I, I didn't want to walk anymore. I picked up a hitchhiker once. That's a whole other story. Remind me, I'll tell you oh, that yeah. one. Oh, yeah. Let's share hitchhiker stories. I've got some rough ones. <laughs> Maybe we can say that for our next bonus episode. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that'll be All fun. Right. Go ahead. So um, Mary thought maybe since her home life wasn't awesome, she would start a dance career in, in California. And so she was holding up a sign that said, Headed South. There were two other people with Mary when a blue van stopped in front of them, and the driver, an older man, said that he only had room for one passenger. And the other two said to Mary, like, don't don't go with him. It's a van. There should be more room than just for one person. That's mm -hmm. weird. Mm -hmm. um, but Mary was tired at this point, and so she went with him. The guy's name was Lawrence Singleton, and he was a merchant marine, and he told her that he was heading to Reno, but he would change course and drop her off near Corona. He said that he had a daughter her age, and he seemed nice enough, so Mary got in, and they started their journey together. At one point, Mary lit a cigarette, and Lawrence kind of like touched the back of her neck um, and he was like, are you getting sick? Because she had coughed because of the cigarette and she kind of pulled away and was like, yeah, try not to touch me or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And she got a little grossed out by that, but he didn't try anything else. So she was, she was like, okay, well that was just a weird 
thing. You know, sometimes people don't know boundaries. See, that's another thing that that we did in the 70s a lot is lit up cigarettes in cars without asking anyone if it would be okay. (laughs) Well, maybe she did. I don't know. But um, she certainly didn't want to be touched. And... After a bit, she felt comfortable enough and fell asleep. When she woke up, she noticed that they were heading in the wrong direction. And she found a sharp stick in the car and she pointed it at Singleton and she said, you need to turn around and take us where you said you were taking us. And he, like, apologized and he said, no, no, this was just a mistake. I didn't mean to be going this way. I'm really glad that you woke up when you did because we we could have gotten really far off course. Uh Um, So the ride continued. At one point, Singleton stopped the van to go to the bathroom, and Vincent got out to stretch her legs. And at this point, she realized that her shoes were untied. And that part of her brain that I think so many of us have went, you know what, if I have to run, my shoes should be tied. So um, she was very aware of the situation she was in, and so she bent down to tie her shoes. And it was then that Lawrence Singleton hit her over the head with a hammer. Oh, my God. Okay. um, So it gets really bad. Um, She regained consciousness, realizing she was now tied up in the back of the van and her limbs were bound and Lawrence Singleton raped her. When he was finished, he got back in the driver's seat. He drove more. Eventually, he came to a stop. He ordered her to drink some unknown alcohol from a plastic jug and then raped her again. Then he drove some more. And the next morning, Mary begged for her release. Singleton took her out of the van and cut the ropes off of her hands on the side of the road that ran alongside a valley. He pushed her up against the guardrail and said, you want to be set free? I'll set you free. And that was when he raised a hatchet and swung it downward. (sighs) Mary grabbed onto him and was holding onto his shirt with her hands as he continued to chop at her. She started to fall backwards and she realized that she hadn't let go of his shirt she was still holding on to his shirt, but she was falling backwards. And it didn't make any sense in her mind how both things could be happening. Mm. But it was because he had chopped off her forearms. He then pushed her over the guardrail and down a 30-foot cliff. Oh, my God. Lauren Singleton then made his way down to her and stuffed her body into a culvert at the bottom of the valley. He then took off, assuming that she was dead. Um, she did lose consciousness, but when she regained consciousness, she found herself bleeding profusely. She was naked. She was in this culvert. She managed to stand up. And she had no arms. She had uh, no forearms. No forearms. Both of Her arms had been cut off at about the elbow level. Both of her arms. Both of her arms. My God. She knew she had to stop the bleeding, but there was no way to do so. It's not like she could tie a tourniquet around well, her arm. You know, there was yeah. there was nothing she could do. So she found some mud nearby and she just jammed her oh stumps into mud, hoping that that would help stop the bleeding. That, wow. She had an incredible presence of mind yeah. for somebody who had lost a lot of blood, I would assume. Yeah. Um, and at that point, she followed the sounds of the freeway and kept her arms over her head while she walked the three miles to keep the blood and muscles from falling out of her stumps. Oh my God. Upon 
Getting to the freeway, she saw a car driving uh, toward her, and she stepped out into the road. She's naked. She's got no forearms. She's bleeding profusely. She's covered in mud. She's freaking out. Mm. Uh, And the people in the car were freaked out, too. Of course. And they just sped right by her. Wow. Wow. Luckily, a second couple saw her and stopped to help. They wrapped her up in material that they had in their car, and they drove to a building where they could call an ambulance. Uh, All that Mary kept saying was, he raped me, over and over and over again. This comes from Ranker. After the attack, Mary was able to provide law enforcement with a detailed description of her attacker, and they did a police sketch. Mm-hmm. And it was so good that within an incredibly short amount of time, Larry Singleton's neighbor called police and said, that's 100% my neighbor. No kidding. Police went to his home and they found charred clothing there and Mary's cigarettes. Coincidentally... He, with the help of his neighbor, had just cleaned out his van. They'd washed all the walls oh. and vacuumed and did the clean the carpet and all that business. But Singleton insisted that he hadn't committed a crime. He said that Mary was a prostitute and that somebody else had been in the car with them and that Mary had threatened him with false accusations. He called her a $10 a night whore. But how did he explain the lack of arms? No, that didn't have anything to do with him. Oh, I see. That's convenient. Yeah. Six months after the assault, Mary, wearing prosthetic arms at this point, faced Singleton and provided testimony that helped to convict him. Larry Singleton was sentenced to 14 years in prison. That was the maximum allowed by law in California at that time. The judge ruling over the case said, if I had the power, I would send him to prison for the rest of his natural life. Mm. But because of the laws at the time, he was only allowed to be sentenced to 14 years. After Mary's testimony, Lawrence walked past her and said, I'll finish the job if it takes the rest of my life. Holy shit. Prison psychiatric evaluations said that Larry Singleton had incredible contempt for his victim. He called her the little bitch or that nice little lady. And reports said that he minimized the extent of her injuries, implying that she had been left with much longer forearm stumps than she was implying. Oh, Okay. You know, for sympathy. Did he imply that she cut her own arms off for sympathy? He felt that he was actually the victim in this situation. And while in jail, he filed a complaint suing Mary Vincent for forcible kidnap for the purpose of robbery. He said that he was the one who was held against his will. Okay. Against a 15-year-old girl with no arms. Well, he claimed that she had arms when they were when they were spending time I, together. I see. Yeah. He was paroled after serving only eight years in prison. Wow. He was able to reduce his time through good behavior, and he worked while he was in prison. And so apparently if you uh, rape and try to murder someone uh, and cut off their arms, you can still be a really good guy. If you rake the yard. 
Public resentment, though, made it incredibly difficult for Lawrence Singleton to live anywhere. No bad. According to the AP, in one of the places where his parole officers had set him up, an angry mob of about 400 people forced sheriff's deputies to move him out of that town under heavy guard. Mm. People were pissed that he was released. I'm pissed right now. Well, you should be. It's fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry. Okay. The good thing is the outrage at this sentence did end up leading to legislation, which Mary Vincent was a part of creating, that said that uh, early release of offenders who have committed a crime in which torture is used uh, is prevented. That was called Singleton's Bill, and it carries a 25-year-to-life sentence. Well, that's good anyway. In the spring of 1997, a neighbor called police to report that Lawrence Singleton was assaulting a woman in his home in Florida. Police responded, and they found Singleton dragging the body of Roxanne Hayes toward his van. She had been stabbed multiple times in the upper body. He didn't even get her in the van. And they and they caught him. Neighbors called while she was being assaulted, and so they they were able to get there pretty quickly. Now, Singleton claimed that Hayes had tried to steal his wallet, and so when he tried to get it back, she grabbed a kitchen knife, and then in all the commotion, the two struggled for the knife, and somehow she was accidentally stabbed seven times in the face, chest, and abdomen. Well, it happens. Never. He explained that the seven-inch deep cut straight through her liver to her spine was caused, he fell on top of her. And so that's that's what happened there. But he also claimed that he didn't notice that she had been hurt or that she was bleeding during this altercation, that he got the knife away from her and then she wanted to cuddle. So that's what, that's uh-huh. what was happening. Uh-huh. And he didn't realize that she was injured at all. This guy is many things, not the least of which a terrible liar. Yeah. Yeah. He claims that she never cried out or said she was injured during the times that she was repeatedly stabbed. So police obviously arrested him. And Mary Vincent testified at this trial, too. Shut up. Mary Vincent had a really hard time, obviously, during this this whole ordeal in between the time that he was released and and committed this second crime. The whole time she was worried that he was going to come and finish the job like he said he was going to. She ended up getting married. A guest at the wedding informed her that he had been released from jail. Wow. That'll put a damper on the proceedings. Yeah. Um, Due to the strains of being a victim of this kind of crime and the publicity that comes along with it, uh, they ended up getting divorced. But after he was sentenced the second time, um, things started to become more calm. Mary said that her community really rallied around her. She was the mother of two boys, and that created a real sense of purpose for her, though she did struggle with stress and depression uh, because of this incredible trauma. Mary received $13,000 from the California Victims Fund, and she did win a $2.5 million judgment against Singleton, but she didn't get any of that money. Yeah, it would be hard for me to believe that he had much of anything. No, exactly. Yeah, that he was worth anything at all. Because he wasn't. In in more ways than one. Yep. Mary's an artist now and to this day refers to Lawrence Singleton only as my attacker. She never uses his name. He died in 
prison in 2001 of cancer. But Mary Vincent began to paint and draw and sketch, and art has brought her a lot of joy as well as a new direction in life. She's selling her art, and she's also found great healing in becoming a victim's advocate. So once again, an extremely traumatic experience, using that experience to help other people. It's really an incredible story of overcoming the odds and strength of character and will. And I'm just, I'm blown away by the story of Mary Vincent. As your story went on, I started to recognize this, uh, this particular case. Wasn't this on an episode of I Survived? It was. Yeah. 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 What a remarkable woman. Absolutely. Uh, just incredible. The, the part that really kind of uh, made my tummy go, was when you were describing how she was holding on to his shirt and falling backwards and couldn't understand why that was happening yeah. until she realized that he had cut her arms off. Yeah. Oh, my God. God. It really does, because I can entirely imagine how that would play out in your head. Yeah. Like, what is What's, what is happening? Doesn't like, this doesn't, s- yeah. And uh, the fact that she had the presence of mind to pack her wounds with mud. And hold her and arms. And hold up. her arms. So to keep the blood and muscle from falling out. And the fact that someone drove by her. And didn't stop to help is just, it's mind-blowing. The whole situation is just incredible. And I looked to see if I could find more about a current Mary Vincent fund, and I couldn't find one. So Mm. if you are able to find a Mary Vincent fund or uh, a link where I can buy some of her art, please send it to me because I couldn't find it. You're right. That was a really heavy story. But let's focus on the positive She used that to make the world a better place. So good for her. That's the best I can do with that one. Yeah. And now, that thing in the middle. Here are some unusual, maybe weird, family holiday traditions from people that shared them online. Cloudy Water wrote, I have (laughs) Cloudy Water. I have a family of five. And when we, when we visit my parents for Christmas, they scatter all the gifts across their 10 acres of wooded property. <gasps> I love that. Last year, I had to cut a rope to lower a gift down because it was suspended 30 feet in the air. That is the best. It's like an egg hunt meets Christmas gifts, and I love it. I want a scavenger hunt. I'll put a scavenger hunt together for you. Well, you've done it before. But not for a while. Not for a long time. Uh, and this, not for presents. This year... Yeah, it was. One was for a present. It wasn't wrapped. It wasn't like a gift, like a present. Oh, like okay. A, well, I'll wrap like one for you. a holiday gift. Okay. It'll be a holiday gift then. With a bow? Sure. What color would you like? I think we only have red. Red it is. All right. Number four. We make a six foot long burrito by laying down a lot of tortillas. <laughs> and once all the food is on it, we gather around and roll the burrito together as a family. That's a bonding experience. A delicious bonding experience. Yeah. Number three. This comes from 42. On Christmas Eve, we all pack into the car and drive around looking at all the Christmas lights about town. And we drink chocolate milk from baby bottles while we do it. What? <laughs> I love that. A few years ago, a few of us got together and got a limo for a tour of the, the holiday lights uh, for a friend of ours who was ill. And during that ride, part of my responsibility was bringing the cocoa uh-huh. and keeping hot cocoa hot for a ride like that is hands down the toughest thing that I've had to do 
in a limo. Well, it's not the toughest thing I've had to do in a limo. Fortunately, I had an empty Mountain Dew bottle. Number two, Christmas Eve. After church service, the family loads up the dog and the cat in the car, and we drive around looking at Christmas lights. We end with a trip to Tasty Freeze, and we get a hamburger for the dog and a small vanilla ice cream for the cat. The humans don't get anything. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Number one, I don't have this in front of me. I read this on a a different site, and I I didn't copy it, so I'm just going to paraphrase it. For years, they would go to their grandparents' house for Christmas Day, and at the end of unwrapping the gifts, there was so much empty wrapping paper that uh, they would stuff it all in a box, and then Grandpa would get into the box and crush the paper down. Mm -hmm. And one year, one of the grandkids says, look, we're throwing Pop Pop away. And everybody started decorating him with bows and ribbons and stuff, and they called it Throwing Away Pop. So they did it the next year and the next year, and then it went on and on and on. And as the man got older, the box got lower and shorter so he could step into it. And then after he did pass away, they continue that uh, tradition to this day. Not with him, of course. Oh, but, you I was going to say that got wicked dark. Wicked dark. The Box of Oddities. Celebrity voice impersonated. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, 
it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout and you will save. Thanks Aura Frames for bringing my family a little bit closer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Okay. Prepare your pork taint. All right. Logan posted on the Freaks group on Facebook. Here is a freak coincidence slash box of oddities effect. A couple of months ago, I moved into an apartment next to some really nice people. Little did I know, they're freaks. The other day, I was listening to Box of Oddities while in the shower, and I get a random text from my neighbor. <clears throat> you listen to Box of Oddities? Logan wrote back, <laughs> creepy how thin these walls are, but yes, I'm a huge <laughs> fan. The neighbor wrote back, bro, I went to their live show in Boston. Logan writes, I was there too. Neighbor, yes, this is very creepy. Sorry to intrude. But yeah, I went last year, I believe. Logan, yeah, last year. Laugh something. Neighbor, bro, that's nuts. What are the odds? <laughs> For reference, this was the show in October of 2019 and more than 200 miles away from our apartment building in upstate New York. Needless to say, I've got some really cool neighbors. Oh, wow. I feel like the Grinch when his heart got three times too large. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's incredible. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. It was also... Really incredible to see the number of people who popped in on the comments and were like, oh, my God, I was at that show, too. <laughs> that was a fun show. I can't wait to get back out on the road. Yeah, that was Laugh Boston. Yeah. And that was uh, that was part of, like, the Westin Hotel. Was it the Westin? Yeah, it was the Harborside Westin. Yeah, West the Harborside Westin. Yeah, the, uh, the club was attached mm -hmm. to that. Really nice. Very cool building. Yeah. Um, when you first walked in, there was this giant screen um, that just had, like, nature videos mm -hmm. on it all mm -hmm. the time. So when you walked in, it was like you're walking into a forest. <laughs> I loved it. Well, here's what I've got for you today. She died over 28,000 years ago. Oh. She has... A shaggy ginger coat. And it's just about as bright as when she died wandering over an ice-covered terrain. 
Her eyes, her foot pads, even her internal organs are intact. She is the most well-preserved woolly mammoth ever discovered. <gasps> Perfectly preserved body was discovered in the frozen ground of Siberia by tusk hunters, who uh, then handed it over to scientists. It's a young woolly mammoth, just a little one. Baby. They named her Yuka. She lived on the second floor. The most well-preserved woolly mammoth ever discovered, the mammoth they determined was probably three to four years old when she, when she died. She was found in uh, one of the remotest parts of Siberia. According to an article in ResearchGate, it was August of 2010 when they found this well-preserved woolly mammoth. Uh, the carcass was found in uh, the region of the Laptev Sea. So the local people, they were, they were tusk hunters. And because of the area, the frozen Siberian tundra, occasionally tusks will pop up from the frozen terrain. But this was more than they had expected. Yuka spent two years after the discovery in a secured frozen cave, kind of like a natural refrigerator. When they turned it over to scientists, they stored her in this, uh, in this cave. The carcass was found kind of hanging over a melted ledge. On the upper third of the north-facing slope next to the sea. So scientists um, started analyzing the teeth and the tusks. And uh, they, they thought that it, two to four years old, possibly, but maybe as old as eight, the mammoth had most likely, uh, based on what they found, been attacked by lions or other predators mm. that probably she was fleeing from a predator and got stuck in this mud and was un un unable to to get any further but there were no indications that the predators had actually killed the mammoth there was however a 40 centimeter incision found in the lumbar region and it appears to have been made by a sharp implement most of the internal organs were missing the skull, pelvis, ribs, and several other bones had been removed and then placed alongside the carcass. So this suggested that uh, ancient humans mm. were involved. So piecing together the forensic information, it appears as though this young woolly mammoth was attacked by a lion or something and tried to get away and got stuck in the mud. Mm. And ancient humans saw this or came across it, chased away the lions and then butchered her butchered her i god i didn't want to say that this is the first ever ginger mammoth ever discovered oh red hair what year did you say that this that she was discovered 2010 2010 from a 2017 article from the daily mail mammoths evolved from african elephants okay so because of the ice age they, they had to bird up yeah Apparently, some of the African elephants had migrated into an area that uh, became extremely cold as the Ice Age progressed. It seems crazy that African elephants have been around that long. Well, it's crazy that mammoths were around when they were building the pyramids. I know. I know. It's one of those weird... It's the only creature that I can think of that fits in that timeline yeah. in my brain. And my, but keep in mind, like my brain is small and can only <laughs> hold so many things. So my timeline is like dinos, mammoths, people. Hey, <laughs> well, a lot of your brain is occupied with uh, song lyrics. That's true. Yes. There's too much 
of that and not enough of other stuff. Like, what is the difference between England and Great Britain and the UK? It's very hard, and I get them mixed up all the time. But you know the words to Baby I'm a Want You by Bread. All of them. And I think that's wonderful, by the way. One one of the things that attracted (laughs) me to you early on was your vast knowledge of the Bread Library. That's probably one of the bands that I know the least about. (laughs) That's why I threw that out there. (laughs) Thank you. Anyway, um... (laughs) Mammoths were about twice the size of today's elephants, and they weighed up to eight tons. Wow. They had very, very long tusks, which which helped them fight predators. And uh, also, they used them to pick grass and shrubs out of the ice. They would chip the ice away with their tusks to to get to the, uh, the plants. A professor, Alice Roberts of Birmingham University, said it was like a time machine into the past, adding, quote, It just doesn't look like an animal which died 28,000 years ago. It looks so fresh, almost alive. It's an historic moment. Most remarkable is the fact that it had those clean cuts on its back and several bones had been removed and found stacked neatly nearby. So they were able to learn so much because of this. It looked as though it was pretty skillful butchery. Although mammoths featured in cave paintings from that time, uh, this is the first evidence that humans preyed on them in the days when ice sheets covered 40% of the northern uh, hemisphere. We really had no indication that ancient humans preyed on woolly mammoths, but this shows that at least in this case, they did. Oh, okay. In, in my mind, that was something that we knew, but okay. I think in fiction, you know, you think of like the cover of Clan of the Cave Bear. Sure. You know, and <laughs> nope, yep, you're they're right. out there with spears taking down a woolly mammoth, but right. uh, there, have been, there has been no evidence until now that that was the case. Got it. It also poses the question, were humans actually using lions? To catch mammoths. Oh. And then move the lions off their kill. They were strategically using. So they would like follow the pack and let them do the hard Mm -hmm. work. And wow, uh, that's lazy. I mean, (laughs) clever. (laughs) (laughs) If I was a lion, I would be pissed. (laughs) Though I think sometimes lions seem pissed anyway. So, well, sure. They're probably holding a grudge from 28,000 years ago. But that's exactly it. So using the body tissue, which is normally lost, but in this case was not, they can use technology to analyze the genome, uh, raising the possibility of, well, again, can we clone a mammoth, bring a mammoth back to life? Yeah. So they looked at the possibility of doing that back in uh, 2010. Members of the same research team, they didn't get very far. And the scientists said that um, the technical limitations at the time were what caused them to not be able to uh, to really seriously undertake a cloning project. And being frozen after 28,000 years is pretty unlikely that the tissue would be responsive to that sort of thing. Sure. Anyway, fast forward to March 2019. They have reawakened some of Luca's frozen cells. Oh my goodness. Just last year. A science alert reports... Scientists in Japan have now reawakened traces of biological activity by implanting Yuka's cell nuclei into the eggs of mice. Quote, this suggests that despite the years that have passed, cell activity can still happen and parts of it can be recreated. This is according to Kai Miyamoto from the Kindai University. In their assessment, the researchers extracted bone marrow 
and muscle tissue from Yuka's remains and inverted the least damaged nucleus-like structures that they could recover into living mouse oocytes in their lab. Now, oocytes are germ cells. Okay. 88% of these nuclei structures were collected from 273.5 milligrams of mammoth tissue, and some of these nuclei were injected into the egg cells. A number of the modified cells demonstrated signs of cellular activity that precede cell division. So I'm sorry, in in this scenario, what is the goal? Just to see if the cells would react? Yes. Or Okay, not it, to make like woolly mammoth mice. No, no. Okay. Although that would be kind of awesome. In theory, you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to, that would be awful in real life. But yeah, they just wanted to verify whether or not they could uh, find any activity, any cellular activity, if Mm -hmm. they could wake it up. And they have. Now, the report goes on to say, in the reconstructed oocytes, the mammoth nuclei showed the spindle assembly, histone incorporation, and partial nuclear formation. This is according to the findings of their report, and it's real technical, and I really don't know what that yeah, means. I understand any of but that. apparently it's a good thing. Um, the researchers say that despite the limited biological activity, the fact remains that anything could be observed at all is remarkable and suggests that cell nuclei are at least partially sustained even over 28,000 years being frozen in the mud. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Now, I disagree with everything that's being done, but it is incredible. Again from Science Alert, calling the accomplishment a significant step forward toward bringing mammoths back from the dead. Miyamoto acknowledges there is nonetheless a long way to go before the world can expect to see a Jurassic Park-like resurrection of this long-vanished species. Mm. Once we obtain, quote, once we obtain cell nuclei that are kept in better condition, we can expect to advance the research to the stage of cell division. This is what he told a Japanese newspaper. Researchers went on to say that less damaged samples could enable the uh, possibility of inducing further nuclear functions such as DNA replication and transcription. So now they've got tissue that they think they can work with. Mm. But when they tried this before a decade ago, the technology wasn't there. But if you combine this genetic information with the latest gene editing technology that's available right now, who knows what could happen? They now have an option that they did not have in 2010. Science has been revolutionized by the new gene editing technology, CRISPR-Cas9. CRISPR, which stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. The researchers think their research could provide a new platform to evaluate the biological activities of nuclei in extinct animal species and an incremental progression to perhaps one day maybe seeing yucas type roaming about on the tundra again one day. Mm. These findings have been reported in their scientific reports and papers that uh, have been submitted for peer review. It's thought that these cells and the CRISPR gene editing technology, with those two things, the likelihood of us being technically able to bring the woolly mammoth back from extinction is close at hand. The question, of course, remains, should we? And you're against this. A thousand percent. What about if they were able to use this technology to bring back a species that was more recently extinct, like something that was extinct 50 years ago. 
Well, I think that would depend on why it went extinct. Mm-hmm. I mean, approximately 150 species go extinct every single day. It's actually an age of extinction right now because of us. Yeah, I get that. Um, but it I, still would be fucking cool. You know what else is really cool? The sweatshirt that I'm wearing. We got a package from Eric and Lauren. And Lauren has been crafting up a storm And they sent us a couple of sweatshirts made specifically for us. Mine has like this incredible pug material and it's just pugs all over it with little hearts and a little kangaroo pouch. And I love it so much. And it's actually covered in dog hair right now. So it's very appropriate. (laughs) And yours has a Yeti on it. And Uh, I love it. I love my Yeti sweatshirt. That was so thoughtful. She made these. She actually ordered the fabric specifically for this. Yeah, and she's been sewing for 12 hours a day. It's And it's just incredible to see. Like, the quality of this item is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And again, thanks to all of you who support the Box of Oddities on Patreon. Uh, there's lots of benefits for people who support us on Patreon, like ad-free episodes. You get them a day early, bonus episodes. We just released a uh, video, a bonus episode, and it's kind of a tour of our our house. Uh, we showed you the giant Christmas tree in our house and in a tour of our studio that we do the box of oddities in. Those types of things are available for patrons, uh, depending upon the level. You can get the link at theboxofoddities.com or by going to Patreon. Thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities. And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, Women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.